Shabbat Shalom, you may be seated. About two years ago, I had a meeting in the city as part of the New York Board of Rabbis, which was an interfaith meeting. We meet quarterly, rabbis and priests and ministers of all denominations and imams, and we talk about issues in the community and things we can be helpful with. A colleague of mine who I'm incredibly close with called me up and said, David, I had an accident, I can't drive. Can you pick me up before the meeting? I said, of course. I drove in from New Jersey. I picked him up, and there's my friend. And he's got a giant cast going from his shoulder down to his fingers. I said, what happened to you, Joe? He said, I was going down the stairs. Last night, I tripped on a little piece of ice. I tried to break my fall with my wrist, and I broke my wrist, and I broke my elbow, and uh, scraped up my head. I got a couple stitches, and um, really hurt myself. I go, oh, it's terrible. That's that's horrible. You must be in pain and you just can't sleep. I know what that's like. And the stitches in your head on top of it. And, and after all that, you know, you could like, you can't drive. It's your right hand. You can't move the gear shifter. And how, what a horrible thing to happen to you. I'm so sorry. Are you going to sue the place where you fell? They should have put salt down. It's not right that you could slip like that. And it's a piece of black ice. He just kind of looked at me like this. Like, what am I going to do? My arm's stuck. And, just we mad and we lamented. We talked about all the things he couldn't do. We get to the meeting, and there were a couple rabbis waiting to go into the meeting, which is kind of strange in and of itself that the rabbis were early. And these meetings always start on time, the interfaith meetings. And the other rabbis almost had the exact same refrain I had. What a terrible thing to happen. I'm sorry this you're in so much pain. I'm sorry you broke your arm in two places. Are you going to sue them? What are you going to do? How are you going to drive? All the rabbis, they all ask the exact same question. We walk inside the meeting, and there's a whole gaggle of priests and reverends and ministers and imams, and the archbishop is there. And they all see the rabbi's arm, and they say, what happened to you? He tells them, I fell down a flight of stairs. I tried to stop my fall outside with my wrist. I broke my wrist, and then I broke my elbow. Every single one of the ministers and priests and imams and the archbishop. Thank God that's all that happened. It could have been so much worse. Do you realize you could have broken your ankle too? Do you realize you could have really been hurt? God forbid you could have been paralyzed. Thank God you should be saying prayers. We looked at them as if they were talking a foreign language. What are you talking about? They went on and on about how lucky he was. And then he says, but I can't drive for two weeks. He goes, you know how blessed you are to have friends who are driving you, picking you up today, and taking you to the next place? What a blessing in life you have. I'll drive you. My friend, you're going to have a driving crew for the next six weeks. You're going to drive after you can drive. We're going to drive you everywhere. And we all got a good chuckle out of it at some of the differences between our tribe and other tribes. And in particular, one of the tribal differences we have is that overall, we're a pretty whiny lot. As much as I hate to admit it, we fetch a lot. And we always seem to see what's broken. The rabbi I know who talks about the problem with Jews today is that we're always a people who look at the one tile in the mosaic as missing, as opposed to appreciating all the tiles in the mosaic that make the art and the beauty. And the difference between those two things is one simple word. Perspective, a vantage point, where you stand and how you appreciate things. 
Because any way we slice it, the rabbi's arm was broken in two places, in his wrist and in his elbow. And he wasn't coming out of the cast for five weeks at least. But the difference between the archbishop and the ministers and the priests and the reverends and the rabbis, who, by the way, were Reformed, Conservative, and Orthodox, and they were singing in unison about suing and pain and how, how terrible. Right? We were combined. We were united. Right? The difference between us had nothing to do with the broken arm. It all had to do with the perspective of how we were going to see that experience. And frankly, it's the exact same perspective when we see a mosaic, whether we're going to appreciate the beauty and the art that it offers, or are we going to be a people that sees the tile as missing? This parsha, Shalach, has been on my mind for quite a few weeks because I've been thinking about this concept, not only on the concept and, and on the level of what it means for this parsha for this week, but really what it is that's niggling away at us as a people lately, and that's changing our direction as a tribe. Because I believe our perspective is going so far askew that we're losing our identity and we need to recalibrate and learn from our neighbors to get back on course. What I'm talking about is the perspective of our kvetchiness and our whining about so many things that are happening in the Jewish world. And I think about what those ten miraglim, those ten spies who must have come back to Moshe and said, it's not going to work. We can't go in there. They're so much bigger than we are. They're going to beat us. They're going to conquer us. They must have sounded just like us rabbis standing at the porch of that church we were going to walk into for that interfaith meeting. Negativity and terribleness and bad things and nothing positive, nothing good, no opportunity. But then came the voice of these two guys, Caleb and Joshua who say, we can go in there, we can conquer, we can make it happen, it's okay. They're the grasshoppers. We're the heroes. We're the mighty ones. And I think about, if it weren't for those two guys, what would the fate be of the entire Jewish people? If it weren't for those people who had a different perspective, and not just a different perspective, a better perspective, People who saw the mosaic and the beauty and not the missing tile. People who saw the opportunity to break an arm as a moment. Okay, you're in pain, but you're going to get an opportunity to cement friendships. You're going to get an opportunity to see all the things in life you take for granted that now you're not going to take for granted anymore. You're going to get an opportunity to see things from a perspective that you can't and then realize that you are blessed with all types of other limbs and organs that work. And that is a perspective that we are missing as a people. I bring this up because I was inspired very deeply by a friend of mine who was a classmate and a very talented rabbi at the Park Avenue Synagogue. His name is Rabbi Elliot Cosgrove. And he wrote a response to a professor that we shared together while we were in rabbinical school. This professor's name is Jack Wertheimer. And Jack is a modern historian who also dabbles in sociology. And most sociologists are people who take statistics. They take the temperature of what's happening in a particular community, and then they tell you, based on that temperature, what our trajectory is for the future. If Jack Wertheimer were in the business of selling stocks, his reports would short the Jewish community. And to me, I think he's totally off. And what Rabbi Cosgrove said so brilliantly 
was we need to change our perspective. Yes, some of the things Dr. Wertheimer says about the Jewish community are true. We seem to have shifted a little bit from a sense of parochialness in a post-Holocaust world to a sense of universalism as Jews. We seem to be a little bit more concerned with the welfare of all people than we are with the welfare of our people. We seem to be divided when it comes to Israel because we've matured enough in our relationship that we don't really know what is right and what is wrong and where we're going. And in the earlier years, it was so much easier to define. And our role has transitioned in Israel so significantly from being the oppressed, and I do not believe that we are the opposite of that, that we are oppressors, but we are created in an image of being oppressors now simply because of the paradigm of David and Goliath that is always portrayed in the media, a big and a small. And originally we were the small, and we have grown and blossomed into the large, and that has created a shift for us. And Dr. Wertheimer posits that all of these things happening in the Jewish world are reasons for us to cry, reasons for us to say we have failed, reasons for us to say that this generation, my generation and your generation, the generation that has inherited the Judaism that we have today, that has created this very synagogue that you're sitting in right now, that that Judaism has not succeeded. We haven't succeeded because we haven't taken the reins of what was given to us and done what our ancestors did for us. And what Rabbi Cosgrove says, and he's spot on, is shame on you, Dr. Wertheimer. That's not right. Because it's not helpful to point out why we're different and where we're different from our ancestors, but rather to see the generation that handed us what we have and to say thank you to them. Thank you for the gifts you gave us. And let us run now. Let us pivot to the things that have changed. Because if we are going to be a religion that is exactly the same, with a vantage point that only sits up on a perch and says, it was so much better back then, and it's not going to be that way tomorrow, because look at what our people have done, we are doomed to fail. Then we're part of the ten Maraglim, we're one of the ten spies, and we're never going to grow. But if we can become like Caleb and Joshua, and we can change our perspective in life, and see the Jewish community for what it has to offer us today and tomorrow, then we can. Then we can fuse together what I said to Sam, to Gabby. We can fuse together optimism and courage, and we can be a different Judaism, but just as powerful, just as potent, and just as meaningful as the one for our ancestors. Because we have a false model out there. We believe that only if it's like the way it was for our grandparents will it be right, that's wrong. What we have to do is have a sense of what was meaningful to our grandparents, making it meaningful to us too. But the same recipe doesn't always work. And lately, that generation and those people have been looking at the mosaic and saying, there's a tile missing. They've been looking at the broken arm and saying, I'm so sorry for that incredible pain. And I posit to everyone here and to everyone who's not here, we need to be saying, look at the art of the mosaic and look at the blessings you have in being alive and only have broken your wrist and your arm. We have incredible opportunities in the Jewish world in front of us. We have more people today subscribing to Jewish education than ever before. But what do we talk about? The crisis in Jewish education of how expensive it is.
It's so terrible. And how kids are leaving Hebrew schools not knowing enough. But more kids are learning in a Jewish day school today than ever in our history. There is talk about how kids and teenagers in particular in such a formidable age have less of a connection with Israel than their ancestry. That's what's said. But I would argue that close to half a million young men and women had visited Israel because of birthright. And thousands more are going because it matters to their parents and to their families. And they're experiencing Israel. And they're reconnecting with Judaism. And it matters to them. And why aren't we celebrating that fact? Why aren't we appreciating it? While it's true, in some movements, synagogue affiliation is dwindling. It is also true that our connection and our philanthropy is reaching new heights worldwide. Why aren't we seeing it from that perspective? Why aren't we standing on the mountaintops and applauding and cheering? And how about how many kids who don't go to a Jewish day school, but whose families choose to send them to a Jewish camp because they want them to have the value of being social and living their life with other Jewish people and being shaped by Jewish values and Jewish ethics in ways that aren't only about their education, but about their informal education. That number is astonishing. But today, there are too many of the wrong generation wagging a finger in our face saying, we missed it. We're screwing up. We have squandered our inheritance. And they sound like the ten spies. And we need to stand up and to praise and to cheer and to celebrate and to wave our pom-poms with all that we're doing well. Because that perspective, combined with courage, is about unbridled opportunity that lays in front of us. But if you want us to just stand up and to tear our clothes and to mourn what we've lost, we can do that. Who's that going to inspire? Is that going to inspire you? Are you going to get charged up by that? Is that going to make you want to become more connected with your congregation and your community, be more, more philanthropic to the UJA? Or is it going to disengage you more and make you disconnect? For me, I need to feel what we're doing well. And I need to be reminded of it. We're Jewish. And part of our lot is we are indeed whining. And we do fetch sometimes. And of course we need to hear what we can do better. It wouldn't be normal if we only said we're amazing and ignored where our deficiencies are. But we're doing pretty well, ladies and gentlemen. Not only in the synagogue, not only in this community, but in the Jewish world. And there are all types of statistics and proof to show it. And what we've inherited from our ancestors is a beautiful and amazing gift of APAC, of Jewish camping, of Jewish day schools, of Jewish institutions of higher learning, from HUC to JTS to YU, and we have not squandered those inheritances. We might have calibrated the compass a little bit, but we haven't squandered it one iota. And this is a critical crossroads in the Jewish world. And I call for all the Caleb's and Joshua's of the world to stand up and to be heard. Because it's time for us to see that new perspective to learn from our fellows who aren't as whiny and not as fetchy, and to see the art it has to offer us. I'll close with a story. Most days I get the kids up and get them off to school. If I can't, Dory does, but I'm an early riser. That's why I do it in most mornings. And I'm getting a dirty look from my wife. 
A lot of morning. It's only because I'm an early riser. And on this particular morning, on Friday, I walked the kids onto the bus, which I normally don't do. I normally wave from the window. And as I was walking back towards my house, I realized this one gaping hole that we have seven shrubs planted, and one of the seven shrubs died about six weeks ago. And our gardener, who's a fantastic, fantastic person, picked up the shrub, threw it out, and said, I'm going to replant another one for you soon. But right now, there's just a giant hole. And every time I walk in the house, every time I pull in the driveway, every time I get the newspaper, what do I see? I see the hole. But yesterday, for some strange reason, and I'm not so touchy-feely or spiritual, for some strange reason, when I walked in from the bus of kissing the kids, and maybe it was that moment, maybe it was the way the sun was shining, the kids are winding up their year, and they're growing, and they're healthy, and I've been blessed with a beautiful wife and a beautiful life, and I feel my blessings every day. And I didn't see the hole. I saw a beautiful home. And I saw blessings that live in that home. And I saw health that lived in that home. And the hole was absolutely insignificant for me for the first time in seven weeks. That's what I'm suggesting we need to do. We need to do it on the micro level. We need to do it on the macro level. We need to be like Caleb and Joshua. We need to find that goodness and change a perspective because the view is exactly the same. It's exactly the same. But we have to change that perspective because then we will really have revved our engines so we can take off into the next generation with all the fuel from our previous ancestry and all of the possibility for this generation that lies in front of us. May that be God's will that we do it together.